If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel, and this week, I want you to meet Christy Turlington Burns, founder of Every Mother Counts, the organization on a mission to make pregnancy and childbirth safe respectful, and equitable for every mother everywhere. Christy started EMC after experiencing a childbirth-related complication in 2003. Under her leadership, Every Mother Counts has invested $21 million globally across 29 programs in nine countries and was recognized by Fast Company as one of the most innovative not-for-profit companies anywhere. Before Every Mother Counts, Christy received international acclaim as a model. She's been featured on literally thousands of magazine covers and was named one of Time's 100 Most Influential People. She's also a repeat founder, having founded a yoga lifestyle brand, Nuala, and a skincare line, Sandari. Finally, Christy is the best-selling author of Living Yoga and graduated cum laude from NYU. Let's welcome Christy. Hi, Christy. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us here today. And again, we're going to go through all the chapters of your career because I think you're so unique in that you have truly done so many different things. And, you know, sometimes we have a founder who's just incredibly myopic, has done one thing. And then there's you, which again, spanning best-selling books, two prior startups. Now, you know, every mother counts, a model, you know, a mother, you've got a lot going on. And so we'll come back to you in a bit, but let's just start from the basics. Talk us through Every Mother Counts in your own words and go back to the beginning. Where was the origin? Just tell us the full story. Well, I mean, I I often will say that uh, I became a global maternal health advocate the day I became a mom. And it's true because the day that I became a mom is when I actually experienced a postpartum hemorrhage, um, which is what opened up my eyes to a a crazy um, global tragedy that has been happening um, for millennia. Um, And yet something that I wasn't aware until I became a mom and until I had this experience that it was still a problem, that it was still a concern. It was still something that needed to be worked on and to, you know, elevate as an issue. So I had this experience. I dug in a little bit to understand like what happened. I wasn't, I was really ready. I was so prepared for being a mom when I became a mom, but I wasn't prepared for that. Um, And when I started to have those conversations with the people closest to me, my sisters, my friends, the people who I, you know, brought into my home as a new mom, I started to hear similar stories, stories um, where people had experienced complications or challenges during their pregnancies or postpartum. And those things weren't things that we'd been talking about. Um, And it just dawned on me that we would all be helping each other out a lot more Um, as sisters, friends, you know, partners, if we opened up those conversations and if we allowed ourselves to share um, and if we allowed ourselves to help the next person prepare 
for the unexpected that may or may not happen. Um, and then I got you know an opportunity to travel internationally with a large NGO called CARE. Um, and I it sort of dawned on me on a trip to Central America where my mom is from while pregnant with my second child that, hey, if I'd had the, say, the first experience, my first birth experience in this community, there's no question that I would not have survived. Like we were hours from a hospital, we were not um, in a, a community that had electricity or clean water, um, let alone a paved road or any of the basic necessities that you know you would need if an emergency were to happen. Um, and I think that's where you know all of the pieces started to come together. And I decided to you know go home, dig in, learn as much as I possibly could, and then figure out what it was going to be that I would be able to contribute um, in some way. And it turns out kind of a lot. There's been a lot of opportunity because there really wasn't anyone talking about it um, at that time. And so it was a very white space. And that allowed me to, you know, take time, um, dig in, become educated, use my story, pull all of the pieces of myself and experience up until that point together so that I was able to actually make the impact that we've made today, which is, which is significant. I will brag for you. You're at the point where you guys have invested $21 million globally across 29 programs in nine countries. You've been recognized by Fast Company as one of the most innovative not-for-profit companies. And sitting here as a mom of three, I I mean, I can name 20 friends who, if we weren't in, if they weren't in a first world country, getting first world medical care, to your point, would never have survived having a baby. Um, can you walk through when you rewind the now almost decade of you building the business? What were the chapters of the business? Like when you got, you know, as you think about all the other founders listening, we've such an amazing audience of aspiring founders, major business leaders, founders um, themselves. Did you set out and say, all right, I'm going to just start doing something about this? And it kind of, you know, snowballed into a business or were you one of the people who sat down and said, okay, chapter one is going to be this chapter two is going to be this chapter three is going to be this. Just walk us through how you, the platform evolved and what was purposeful? What wasn't, what was just because you cared? How did that work? Yeah. I mean, I was definitely not um, planning on all that every mother counts has become. I literally went with my gut. It's like, it's like I became a mom and I looked at the world through a mom's eyes, everything, everything, which is, I guess, kind of what happens. But the first piece was the experience. The second piece was digging in. I went back to school to work on a master's in public health. I actually didn't graduate that degree, but I, I went back to school to like deeply immerse myself. I made a documentary film. I wasn't a filmmaker. I, I had uh, a dream that one day, because I love documentary films, one day, um, I will learn how to do that and I will do that. But it became that this was the issue that said, no, now this is the story. These are the stories that need to be amplified. And so this is the, the vehicle to do that. So then I made the film. And then the film was about to come out in 2010 at the Tribeca Film Festival. And I knew that, um, or I was being told that, you know, a website for the documentary would be a smart idea and that you'd want to have, you know, with a documentary film that's about a social issue, you people are gonna be woken up to something and they're gonna wanna know, what do I do? And so we created a fairly, you know, basic um, initial uh, website and kind of pointing the direction to others doing great work around the world focused on this issue. 
And we were off to the races. It wasn't really until, you know, I started traveling around with the film and talking about this issue, bringing a range of different audiences together where we could really have these like deep discussions about like, what are the solutions, right? Like this is a, a, a tragedy that impacts hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of girls and women's lives every year, but most of us don't know about it. And so once an audience becomes aware or an individual becomes aware, the immediate question that they have were coming up to me after these screenings and asking was like, what can I do? Oh my gosh, I had no idea. And so really the organization, the company was founded or was established to be kind of that for people. Like it's a place where people can have accurate information, evidence-based resources, they can have, you know, the facts, they can have the list of the legislation, they can have some additional stories, they can have potentially curriculum, they can have, you know, what are the what are the things that are needed in order to be able to move forward to, you know, how do we empower ourselves to become comfortable enough to speak out about this issue? My my view is that anyone who's done it, who's given birth, meaning, or has watched and loved somebody who's done it has a role to play in this conversation, has a voice to add. And so really trying to create a, a platform, a campaign, a movement that offers lots of opportunities and lots of, um, you know, a, an inclusive sort of environment for people to be a part of it, you know, and that it's like not a one-way conversation, that it's a really like, it's very much uh, we're doing this together and we need to be partners in this in order to be able to like create a world in which this doesn't happen, you know, and a world where it's safe, equitable, and respectful to become a mom. It's so crazy to think that a topic, which is why we're all here on this planet, which is so pretty important, is still so undertold. Um, Storytelling has just been such an important medium, not only just uh, you as a person, you're a great storyteller. It's really clear you do things that are really authentic to you. Obviously, the medium of, you know, documentaries and, and movies is one that you've been able to leverage. Talk a little bit about how you've thought about using that medium. You know, most entrepreneurs don't have to think about movies or documentaries as a way to get their brand out there, but that's really your marketing vehicle for awareness, for, 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 for causing action. How have you thought about that as part of your strategy? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I had the idea originally with the documentary film when I was in South America and I had just visited an incredible program, which pretty much laid out what needs to be in place in order to ensure safe and respectful maternity care or like birth outcomes. And also it happened to be one of those beautiful places, right? So a lot of the places where we work and where we've invested are incredibly beautiful places. They just happen to not have all of the infrastructure, including in the United States for starters. <laughs> and so, you know, there's nothing like showing, like bringing people to the places, right? It's like, you know, I was writing a column at the time in Mary Claire magazine, and I would go on some of these trips and I would come back and I would sort of write about the experience. And that does something for sure. But honestly, there's nothing like documentary film that really puts you into an environment that allows you to actually put your feet in the shoes of another woman, family, community. 
And so to me, it just, it, it was such a visceral experience to visit a clinic, to see the layout, to see the way people were treated, to like, just see these very simple solutions, but all sort of well thought through and with this like human centered design approach um, that a film just was like the no brainer. And so, you know, I didn't know that I would have more films in me, but of course, after that first film and once starting the organization, it just became like, I would continue to show that film. We would update the stats in it. We would, you know, but the stories remain like as poignant as they were, you know, when I made them and people have the same reaction. And when I'm asked to tell a story, I usually draw from the stories that are in those films. And so we just continued to keep telling the stories, right? Like let's do shorter versions because right, people's attention spans might be different. I feel like there's been a lot more learned in more recent times. Obviously, Instagram didn't exist when when I made No Woman No Cry. Like the way that you can use these different mediums to tell stories more succinctly, more quickly to bring people in. You know, there's just been a lot of advances in that area. And I feel like pretty much everybody talks about the importance of storytelling as, as a way to connect and relate. And because it was part of our origin story, it just has always felt natural to keep going with it. We told some stories just in the beginning of COVID last year that were incredibly powerful. And thank goodness we were able to film them before COVID. And then just even recutting conversations we had through COVID when we couldn't travel were enough to be able to piece together stories to share and to continue to tell and keep those conversations going. I just can't imagine what we do without it. I really can't. It, it, it's like to have women speak in their own language, um, in their own words about their experiences is so important. Like I mentioned before, just the fact that women and people don't share their stories enough to be able to help elevate and amplify those stories. And now that we've built a pretty large community and there is a lot more awareness about the issue than there was 10 or so years ago, people are hungry for those stories and they seek them out. They're looking for more of those stories. And, you know, you can tell the same story a million times, but from each person, it's going to be nuanced, right? Every birth is different, right? You, you're a mom of three. Every birth is different. So you can't just tell one birth story. You would tell a very nuanced um, story about each of those experiences. And that changes as you get further away from the experience itself. And so, I don't know, I think it's, it's one of those beautiful things um, that really does bring people in. It connects people in their heart um, to something that they might understand intellectually, but if they didn't see it, they might not, you know, get swept up in it and feel as activated to want to do something about it. So one of the things that I really admired about you, it not only have you created Every Mother Counts, you've had this massive impact in a decade. You've told these beautiful stories, created beautiful documentaries, but also you've been working on policy. And I think that policy is hard, right? And you've had some great wins. And that's a new muscle, I'm sure you would deflect. You weren't like, great, I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and let's go to Washington. Talk us through a little bit about just like that that chapter, that part of the business. And obviously legislation matters so much because it's how you can help protect people. Talk a little bit about those wins. Yeah, I mean, it started off, like my first visits to Washington, apart from being a, you know, a preteen when most of us go there for the first time, <laughs> I was so excited. You know, I was just like, I went along with care and I'd had a couple of experiences traveling with them. And I just felt so fired up about like the possibility and the fact that you could go to your representatives and you just open the door and they'll see you, <laughs> you know, like, like that accessibility was something that I 
don't think I realized growing up. I don't think most Americans realized that our elected officials are there for us. They yes. we are constituents. And if you, I mean, you can't always see them. They are very busy when they are um, at work. But if you go and you sit in the office, you're going to see them. You're going to be able to interact probably with staffers. And I think that that accessibility is incredibly exciting and important. The first things that we worked on when the film first came out there, we were really excited about a few bills that got introduced, but those bills then sat. And so like my enthusiasm started to fade with every year that those bills sat, I was like, hmm, I don't know. I don't know if I can get as excited about this stuff as I was initially. So that's when we started building community because we thought, okay, we're gonna educate and activate a community so that when the moment in time comes, when there's a lever to be pulled, we will be ready. We will be ready to do that. We'll be ready to jump in. And that's what's been happening the last couple of years. I would say at the end of 2018, two bills that were introduced like eight, nine years before finally passed. And then with that came an uh, introduction of several more. I think there's about nine um, total that are included in this sort of overarching omnibus bill, which there's been a lot of traction on. And with each one, it's a different piece of the problem. So while I mentioned before, lots of the solutions to this issue are fairly simple and low cost, it's still pretty comprehensive. And there's a lot of gaps, right, in our health system. There's a lot of gaps in our societal framework. So, you know, you need to keep writing and rewriting and like filling in those gaps. And so like they've just gotten better and better. And I think with the excitement and the enthusiasm, a new administration that is already kind of well-versed and part of this energy that's been moving some of this stuff forward, it just feels like a really exciting time. I, I feel more hopeful than I have in the last five years, let's say, just in the last year. So, you know, that's great. And I do encourage people to get a sense of like the things that matter to you, how much you need to share with your elected officials that they matter. Because honestly, that's the way that they get prioritized for those individuals. And if they're not hearing about them, then of course they're going to fall through their body. So it's like, we can't sort of sit passively and watch the team and go, oh, well, why aren't they ever talking about this? You know, if it matters and if you care, it's really worth picking up the phone and, you know, you will get a response. And I think that's, that's encouraging and that's important. Yep. It's actually wild. And the reason I was sort of laughing is I remember when I was CEO of LearnBest, going down to Washington, being like, I want to focus on financial literacy policy. And to your point, it's like elected officials are there for us. They actually are there to listen. And if you reach out, they will come back to you. And I just never had thought of Washington as being so accessible. So I was I was laughing because I had the same like bright eyed, little bushy tailed, like here I am with a plan <laughs> and just realized actually there is a conversation to be had, which is wonderful. I want to just quickly shift gears a bit here to the fact that you're founder of a nonprofit. We're going to come back to the fact that you're a repeat, you're a repeat founder in a second, but you're the first person I've had on the podcast that has founded a nonprofit, which is its own business, its own big business, massively impactful and growing. What's your advice to other founders out there of nonprofits of how to think about it? Did did you think about it as a nonprofit? Did you just think about it as building any other business? What advice, if you had to call it down, that you've learned in the 10-year rearview mirror that you would want other people to just know out of the gate? I think it's really important to, you know, do your research. Like I said, I, you know, I made the film, I started a campaign, and then it only dawned on me once people were coming to me saying, you know, we'd like to 
we'd like to be a donor. How do we support this work? And how do we support Every Mother Counts that I started to think, okay, I guess it's time to now become a foundation. I really tried to avoid it, not because I don't believe in them, but I really wanted to be triple sure that there wasn't someone else out there doing the same thing. So I think really like not reinventing the wheel, I can't stress how important that is. And I know that in the world of brands and companies, there's a lot of repetition and there's a there's always like the doing that same thing, but in a new way, a different way. But I really feel like in the nonprofit space, because resources are, there's there's not enough, right? There's There's not enough and there's too many issues. So just creating something new takes away from that pie that already is not big enough. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it really was one of those things that like, I had a lot of sleepless nights, just like, is this the right thing? Does, does this the way, the best use of, of the resources in my time? And do I really just want to satisfy a bigger donor because they see an opportunity in Every Mother Counts being the new kid on the block? And I actually have turned away funding for that very reason. Like, we don't want to be in that lane only. Like, we want, this is, you know, this is who we are and this is what, what we need to be. So yes, do your research, dig in. I just read a stat the other day that there's something like one and a half million or so, or so registered nonprofits in the country. That's a lot of nonprofits. And a lot of them are, you know, on the smaller side. And so, you know, see who's in your space. There's a lot of great resources out there. You know, the old Google works in terms of like, who's working in this space, but really trying to understand the landscape. There's a, there's sort of, I think if I'd gone the traditional route of like, this is going to be my business plan is what I'm going to do. There's a landscaping sort of exercise that is kind of key to, to really understanding what is the, what is the world of maternal health? What is it in this country? What is it globally? And, and then you start to take on more and more. And for me, it's, it's, I'm very much, you know, led by my gut and I'm trying to get to the place of, you know, we're actually in our 11th year now, like at what point are we not like the little startup nonprofit? At what point do we become more planful? And I think in some ways we have become, but I still go back to my gut because my gut's what tells me this feels right. This feels like this is this is what's happening right now. And that's different than it was before COVID. And so let's like be in that moment and in that experience and, and let's let that help to inform what next step to take. So you have to have that long view and like immediate view constantly in your mind in the same way, I guess, to lead any business. But I feel in a nonprofit, there's this sense of responsibility that is, is, can be incredibly overwhelming at times. I've never heard somebody say that. And I think that's really wonderful, which is if you really are passionate about an issue, first check to figure out who else is doing it and are they already doing it really well? And if so, try to get behind them because it's already too small of a pie. That is a very different mentality than typical businesses around competition, which I think right. is wonderful. Okay. So again, most people know that you're a world, world famous supermodel, but they may not know that before this, you already founded two other businesses, one, uh, Sundari in beauty, and then an apparel line, uh, Nuala. First of all, like you're, you are a serial entrepreneur, uh, which is not, I feel like a very well-known fact about you, which I clearly have a girl crush on because that's my jam. Talk a little bit about these other businesses and also when on earth did you build these? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, my first career, I, I kind of fell into, right. Like I was 
teenage, I was a child. <laughs> I was basically a child. And so I was just beginning high school when I started modeling and I started traveling around the world and I finished high school, even though there was a moment in time where I was like, do I really need this? Yes. Yes. You really need this. And it's great to keep your options open. But it wasn't until I was about 25 that I was like, okay, I've been doing this for a long time and I'm actually kind of bored and I've done everything that I can do. And I've been, I've been talking about going back to school from the moment that I wasn't in school. And so I finally made the time for myself to do that. And I did that around, I applied to go to NYU at 25 and I started, you know, like full time, I jumped in and I was so into it. I was so excited because I had spent 10 years traveling the world having this experience working for so many other companies, meeting incredibly interesting people from every walk of life. And now I was like ready to settle and be in a classroom environment. I was like the, and a lot of return students are this way, like front row, hand up every five, you know, like you don't miss a class. You read every single assignment. You don't multitask. <laughs> I was so into it. And so that's the period of time where I started thinking about, okay, I'm like, awoken in so many ways. I, I did a liberal arts degree, but I really started delving into a certain area around Eastern philosophy and uh, comparative religion eventually, but like art history, psychology, all of the things. And so I started to become really excited about all of the potential things I was going to do when I graduated and I graduated at 30. So um, I felt like I got to catch up. I'm 30, even though 30 is a baby at this point to me in hindsight. But then I was like, I'm starting my life at 30. And so the first things that started to come to me in terms of ideas were really based on my experiences. I'd studied Eastern philosophy and comparative religion, but I had a really, really consistent yoga practice. I started doing yoga in my teens, but you know, really not until I was living full-time here, going to school, did I have an opportunity to have like to really develop my practice and have it balanced with all that I was learning in terms of the history and origins of the philosophy. And so I really like immersed myself and you, maybe it wouldn't seem so logical to think like, oh, what, what business would I start? <laughs> Cause yoga doesn't seem like something that you want to make a business actually, even to me now more than it did then, but it felt like, okay, my first career taught me a lot about beauty, wellness, fitness, health, and that's my experience professionally. And yet I'm so passionate about these other things that actually would help to make the rest of it feel more holistic, to feel more whole. And so those were the first ideas I had. I was like going to yoga class all the time. Nobody was making clothes for yoga. There were a few dance lines and then pretty much you just kind of wear like workout clothes and the workout clothes were not great for women in the early aughts. So I started thinking about an apparel line for yoga and trying to make it in the most sustainable way free the conversation around sustainability, I have to say, but like natural fibers, things that would last, get softer with time, not have to be replenished constantly, more earthy tones, more kind of neutrals. And also my own life was going from yoga class to school, to a business meeting, to a photo shoot. And so really having something like, you know, I guess it's called athleisure now, but we were one of the very first brands that were identifying that there was a need for that. Um, so that felt like a very natural thing. And I went out to a large company and I pitched the idea, which was Puma and Puma being a huge athletic company, but hadn't really endeavored into the yoga 
wellness space. The other brand being a beauty business, I also had worked for a lot of beauty brands. And I found that personally, my choices were to be cleaner, to be more natural. And that was not a time for those kinds of things. I got interested in Ayurveda because of my yoga studies. And um, I met my two business partners, you know, early days after class one day in a restaurant in my neighborhood. We ended up following, following up because one of them had a sister that knew my agent. They'd gone to HBS together and like small world thing. And suddenly I was like, you know, these girls are creating this brand. I don't need to do it because it's going to happen. And how great I'm, I'll be a customer and I'll be in line when they launch the brand. In the end, I joined them. We became a, you know, sort of three founder group. And I was able to add a lot to the company because of my experience, because of my understanding of the philosophy, because of my real practice. It wasn't like this is a this is a marketing tool. This is a thing that we know is going to be popular one day. It's like this is my life. I am like living, breathing, sleeping this philosophy. And so, yeah, we launched that brand and we ended up selling it in back in 2003, I want to say. The idea that both of those companies started around the same time, but around something that I was so passionate about and felt so like this is going to be central to my world. They felt like natural extensions based on my previous experience. And I didn't know that they would both kind of take off at the same time. So it was a lot to try to do both of them as separate entities. And one did require a lot of like, fundraising and a lot of going out on the road. And so, and then the other one was like, it was just nice to compare how different they could be. And the one with Puma lasted a bit longer. I ultimately didn't sell it. We kind of dissolved it. And it's still a brand that I own. And every now and again, someone knocks and says, do you want to like start New All again? And I, you know, I, I think about it sometimes, maybe, maybe, but not, not yet. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. I want to go now just to you because what we just kind of walked through, amazing nonprofit, you know, true supermodel, thousands of magazine covers, started working really early in your life and then, you know, serial entrepreneur and uh, bestseller. So all of that, <laughs> let's go to a little bit of your work ethic, because clearly one of the things that I just have admired about you is you really are a hard worker. Where did that come from? Gosh, I mean, I think I'm more of a, I, I'm a more of a believer in nature versus nurture. Although, you know, I would say my dad was a hard worker. My mom was always like very active, but I feel like I'm very much like out of the gate. Like this is me. And I think it's like with experience, I think having time and perspective to be able to like really, even though I didn't set out to, to do my first job and to think that that would be a career or that I would still even be doing it today, that time at back then, especially when we didn't have cell phones and we didn't, we weren't connected all the time. I really had a lot of time and space, right? In transition, flying around the world on my own to read, to explore, to stay on in parts of the world, to continue to like 
evolve and develop as a human being. And all of that experience, I've just really absorbed it. And so to get to a point where I could then say, you know, now I want to get an education and now I'm going to use that education to help me continue to explore different parts of my life that I haven't been able to do. And let me just prepare myself so that when any opportunity comes up, I'm ready to go. And I feel like that's what I did. Like all of those things got me to a place so that when I had this childbirth experience with my daughter's birth and saw that there was an issue that people didn't know about, and there was like nobody talking about it, it was like, I am ready to be in this space. I don't have to be the only voice, but I can certainly be a voice. And I'm in a place now that I have space to do so. I don't have other distractions. I don't have, and, and I, you know, I, I was in a comfortable place at this point in my career to be able to say, you know what? I don't, I don't need to get a salary from my nonprofit. I don't, you know, like I can put my whole self in this. And so, yeah, I mean, the hard work part, I get excited by learning and learning new things, meeting new people. I, I get really excited about connecting with other people. I get connected. When we, you and I first met, we were like, like, I love that. And I found that, like, I didn't know starting a nonprofit that that's how much I would get back in in that kind of experience as a human, as a woman, as a, as a mom. Um, and so I continue to get that. And that makes me want to work harder. Like, you know, my mom, I used to call my mom and I'd say, like, I'm going to write a book. And she'd go, you are? Like, oh, you're just working so hard. I was like, mom, you have no idea what so many of the women that I meet around the world do. Like if, if I can do all that I do, if I can, like, it's a little bit of a luxury to be able to do all that I do. So like, why wouldn't I, or, or how could I not? And so that's kind of my philosophy on hard work. I want to talk about your personal hacks. So like, I already can, you know, you're healthy, you're thoughtful, you sleep, I know you love to run marathons and that's been a big, but like, what do you swear by? What are the things you have to do to stay holistically sane? I mean, I, I feel like trying to be present and that's a part of my sort of spiritual practice too, but I feel like it's constantly what I, I know that that's the, the answer to most everything, right? If we can be present and it's hard sometimes when you are a busy person and a multitasker to really be present. But I know when I do that, when I give myself that space to really be focused in whatever I'm doing, that that will give me so much more. And so in a way, I've kind of found these different ways that sort of force that into my daily life. Yoga, running, pranayama, which is like a breath work kind of practice, meditation practice, like those things and setting up the time for myself so that it's consistent, that it happens, you know, it just happens if I make that time and I make the commitment to myself and then everything else comes. And so like, that's where I ideate. Like, I mean, honestly, most of my business ideas from the past came on being on a mat at the end of a class, when you lay down, you're supposed to be doing like the death pose. That's where like, that's where the juices are flowing for me, or I'm on a run and I don't run with music. I don't run with podcasts. I go and that's where I kind of process. And so I find it healthy physically. I find it healthy emotionally. And I find it healthy spiritually to create those practices. It's a practice. I have to brag for you for a second, guys. I've seen her run on the West side highway before when I was on my run and she just is like, you were like, absolutely the energizer bunny running how many <laughs> marathons have you now run at this point i've run eight full marathons and i don't know how many half marathons somewhere between 15 and 20 
I love it. Um, by the way, I could ask you a hundred more questions about that, <laughs> but we're going to quickly transition into our quick fire round. It's so simple, really quick questions. You give me the first answer that comes to your head. Career pinch me moments, two moments where you look back and say, wow, I can't believe I did that. What would it be? As an advocate for Every Mother Counts, I did a TED talk and it was not a great experience. I It was like terrifying and I can't, I still can't believe I did it, but I also can't believe I did it the way that I did it. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um, I'm, everyone immediately go watch it. This is, that's amazing. Okay, one more pinch me moment. You've got to have one more. Gosh, I mean, just like, I feel like if I go back to my like early career and like some of the people that I've met. And so I have a pinch me moment of meeting Nelson Mandela, you know, in South Africa on the steps of his home, being there for a charity fashion show. But hey, face to face with Nelson Mandela, who was the most gracious human I've ever met. Not surprising for any thing that we've ever read about him, but, you know, just the the way that he spent time with each individual and the same amount of energy with like, how, like so genuine with like, how are you? And it's such a pleasure, such an honor to meet you. I mean, like the true, like a kind of divine respect that, that spiritual beings have with each other. Like I honor, like namaste is I honor that sacred person in you. And we all have that thing. And he spoke to that. And I think in that kind of or ignited something in me that maybe made me feel a bigger part that I had to play in humanity. What gets you out of bed in the morning? I think getting out of bed in the morning for me is all about using my voice, using all that I have every day to try to make the world a better place for someone else. I love that. And I've never heard somebody give that answer. I love that so much. So let's quickly transition to, we've just lived through COVID. We've all adapted in some way. What would you say is the thing through COVID that was the product or the new thing or the new habit or anything that you picked up that you hope to keep with you? Gosh, um, as much as I'm looking forward to having some part of my life spent back in our office, I think there has been something about doing all things in my home, like creating the home that I really want to have. And I want to return to, I, I love the physical space of my home, but really being home as much as I had all those little things that I just didn't have the energy to do or to move, like, you know, whether it's a bookshelf and redoing it, anything that I would look at and it would be like, Oh, I just don't have, you know, that's just like more work. I've actually spent this last year making all of those little subtle changes in my home. So that when I wake up and I open my eyes, I look at the things around me that inspire me, that make me feel like secure and confident and safe. And like, I'm excited to start my day. I have to tell you, I did the exact same thing every, like, but I, I it was just like, you never had the time and finally you can. And so, so this leads into my next question, which is, Fast forward two years, how many days a week do you think America is in an office? Gosh, I mean, I know offices represent different things for different people. I love our office. You were at our office. I love our office. And I'm I'm hopeful because I miss my I miss people in person and I miss the conversations that we had as a group and I miss being able to celebrate the moments and the milestones with my teammates. I hope a couple of days a week. I've been looking at my kids' school and they're like hybrid situation. And it makes sense to me. Like there's some problems in, in, in how schools have been doing it, but I think I've learned from watching that. And I've sort of seen how it can be beneficial and how it can make people feel safe. 
but it can give us a little bit of that human connection that I think we're all really, really craving again. Last question. Any new organization that is not Every Mother Counts, it can be any type of company, a startup, an organization that you love that you just want to give a shout out to. There's this great new company or it's an app. It's called the Earth app, which is birth without bias. And it was created by a woman who was a senior editor at Essence Magazine. Her name is Kimberly Seals Allers. And it's kind of like a Yelp for maternity care, but for geared towards black and brown women. So black and brown women are most disproportionately impacted by bad birth outcomes and often are not listened to. And there's been tons of data and research and um, testimonials to that effect. And so the fact that she's created something that allows women to express their experiences and for that to be out there for others who are looking for, you know, experience being the main driver of where they decide to deliver their children or get their health care. Um, so I'm really excited about it. Just launched recently and she's phenomenal. Um, so, yeah. Christy, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you want to learn more about Every Mother Counts, check out everymothercounts.org. And you can join us next week for Ink the Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel.